this time on episode 372 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talk Falcon and the Winter Soldier, season one, episode four, The Whole World is Watching, and we talk your weekly Marvel news. I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at GunnyGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Consultant Charles. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Sunday, April 11th, 2021 live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast worldwide via www.geeks.live. Come join our live chat as we record. And as a special welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we have speculative fiction writer, blogger, and former coins to continue, I believe, video gaming podcaster, Charles Singletary Jr., a.k.a. at the underscore CSJR on Twitter. Charles, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for inviting me. This is really exciting. A little nervous, but very excited. Well, you might be nervous, but you have a lot of Marvel comic background, don't you? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I got my start reading my dad's comics. I don't think I had his permission. I just found them. It was a massive bag of mostly X-Men stuff, but there was some Superman, some Daredevil, some Batman. But the X-Men comics are what I gravitated toward. I think you just wormed your way into Lauren's heart with that. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't already consider you an A-plus Twitter follow. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Definitely made sure to wear the X-Men shirt nice. here, but I'm glad you've decided to continue following me as much as I talk crap about Batman on Twitter. I mean... Well, yeah. <laughs> Batman deserves it. You don't want to hear my whole spiel about Batman. Oh, I true. I actually do, but maybe after, another time. after the show. After oh, yeah, the show. yeah. I love the Bat family. Bruce Wayne has issues. True. Very true. We have a lot to talk about later, but for now, let's talk about some Marvel stuff. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes. Because of smashing innocent teacups. If you'd like to talk to us about tragedy befalling your innocent teacups, you can check out our website at legendsofshield.com. You can leave us a message about your favorite tea on our voicemail line at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can check out our Facebook at Legends of Shield Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. You can join our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Charles, do you happen to have a teacup set or a tea set around? I do not, unfortunately. 
I do. And it's stuffed away somewhere where I cannot just grab it and throw it. So I think, uh, you know, we're both <laughs> safe from that tragedy befalling us on this show. In the meantime, we got a lot to talk about with Falcon and the Winter Soldier right now. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 4, The Whole World is Watching, premiered on Disney Plus April 9th, 2021, two days ago. Lauren, gee, I just don't, I, this is going to be a surprise. Who directed this episode? This episode was directed by Carrie Scogland, who has 57 directing credits starting in 1994, including Six of the Borges, One of the Killing, Two of Under the Dome, One of Longmire, Two of Vikings, one of Penny Dreadful, two of Fear the Walking Dead, one of the Americans, two of The Walking Dead, one of The Punisher, five of The Handmaid's Tale, and six of Falcon and Winter Soldier. A definitely rounded bit of directing for her there. Now, Michelle, who wrote this episode? This episode was written by Derek Kolstad, has 18 writing credits starting in 2012 including two episodes of Falcon and the Soldier, but we know him best for the whole John Wick one, two, three, and the upcoming four and five. So, yes. And we were talking about dogs before the podcast, too. Oh, puppy. So the showrunner for the entirety of Falcon and the Winter Soldier was Malcolm Spellman. Now, it's something we haven't discussed before, since this is more like a six-hour film. Who would you consider to be the executive producer here? Would you consider Malcolm Spellman to be the executive producer or would that honor go to Kari? To be honest, I don't really know what an executive producer does. Okay. We've been doing this all this time and I'm just like, oh, that's a name I see. Well, if you're talking about being the producer and more like day to day in charge of hiring the director and the writer and stuff. Malcolm, but then Malcolm's boss would be Kevin Feige. He would be the like the executive producer if this was the movie. Well, that's true, but I think Kevin Feige would be the executive producer on all Marvel properties, if I'm remembering our credits correctly. So I think what I was going for is I was equating Malcolm to the executive producer of a movie. So that's, I think, what's going on here. Charles, you're nodding your head. When you put it that way and kind of like, treat the show in kind of a vacuum i think i can agree uh that we would be the executive producer there all right so the title of this episode of the falcon in the winter soldier got to get the whole title in there including the first the is the whole world is watching michelle you have your cell phone ready oh yes indeed yeah the whole world is definitely watching not only are they watching the flag smashers not only are they watching the reaction of the GRC, but now they're watching the behavior of our new Captain America. So we've discussed this before. There's been a problem in media in the last, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years where an author or a TV show writer or director or someone, you'll see a plot and it's like, this could have been solved with cell phones. And it's kind of only been in recent years that people are really integrating that because the people who are starting work now are people who've had cell phones most if not all of their lives and so this really i think took advantage of that like yeah we are more interconnected than we have ever been and that means that stuff gets out there 
very fast. So there's always that whole, oh, you have to watch your behavior in public or this or, you know, oh, people only know about this because it was filmed. That, I think, was a very good way to bring it into our reality. I agree with you there. You make a really good point when you say that things can be solved with cell phones. When this moment that we'll, we'll get into detail about it a bit later, but when this particular moment happened and everyone had their cell phones out, I was kind of dumbfounded that I hadn't thought about that already as far as the world being able to see what this particular character was devolving into. But I mean, it's really on the nose with the episode's title, but I also think some of the story kind of expands out from the very self-contained conflict that it feels like we've been watching and starts to talk about some of the ramifications all over the place. But yeah, it's in general, this is a very good episode and I like the conclusion. The main characters or the Avengers or whatever you want to call them throughout the series have been out in public and they've been noticed. You go to the cafeteria way back in the beginning, the street cafe way back in the beginning, you go to where they're hanging out in Germany and in different spots where you just notice who they are. They can't get away from that. They've been so publicized during the whole end game thing, the whole fight with Thanos and the whole blip and everything. Everybody knows who the Avengers are because it's very central to what's been going on in the world over the past six years, let's just say. So I don't think these guys can get away with it. And if you run into a celebrity these days in New York, matter of fact, so my daughters watched The Bachelor and this past week, the last Bachelor was caught in New York City with another girl or the same girl or whatever. And it was like he thought he could go out in Central Park and not get noticed. Well, you could get noticed. Imagine if you're an Avenger and you're out there, you are going to get noticed. So I totally see that in what you see these days is everybody raising up their phone and taking video or a picture or something like that. We definitely get that at the end, but I see that. I'm glad that they're incorporating that into the plots. Also, I want to talk a little bit about the GRC. I'm not going to say what the GRC's name is because I get hung up on that R term every single time. But there was a time where they were saying, we're going to reinstitute borders. So this is something that we haven't discussed yet. Are all borders gone? Is it just one world? There was even a conversation about that. There was just, there was no borders. There was just one world. And now the GRC wants to get back to the way things were, including countries and divvying up the world and divvying up resources and stuff like that. And I think that harkens to the whole world part of the title, too, because it's the first time that we've heard anything about the whole world in terms of there's no borders. OK, I was wondering if y'all had been talking about this, because when the first episode aired, this was one of the first criticisms I saw about this. They're like, oh, the bad guys are people who want us all to be one people and it's like that's a good thing though and it's always kind of driven me crazy in the marvel universe it's like okay we've known aliens have existed for all this time we had an existential threat five years ago and okay you see this a lot in science fiction it's like oh we make first contact now everyone's like well it's us versus them so i guess we're all one people now like you see this in The Expanse, where it's not so much an outside threat as it is people continuing the us versus them mentality in terms of Earth and Mars and the belt. And one thing that I like in the more recent episodes is 
like this episode, Sam's like, no, I'm on your side. It's just that the way that you're doing this is really bad. And I really like that they're actually acknowledging that. Another wrinkle when it comes to the everything without borders and operating without borders is a conversation that happens before one of the main fights or the main fight in this particular episode uh, is that not cap tell someone that this isn't their jurisdiction when it's actually not his either. And they're fighting to stop this person that's trying to get rid of borders, but they're also operating as if there are no borders and they have jurisdiction everywhere. And I thought that was interesting to think about, but the overall topic is something that I liked that they're approaching with the show, because I feel like even with comics, though the comics do try to do this every now and then, with the movies and TV shows, we often don't get a look at how it's impacting people that are not heroes and agents and things like that. So it's interesting to see them actually having some kind of ramifications or not even ramifications. There was a good thing that came from Thanos' snap. And when things went back to normal, everything went back to normal, including a lot of the problems. And the Flag Smashers are trying to deal with that. And also, there, I feel, correct me, you know, if I'm wrong, but I don't think they really had a lot to stand on when criticizing the Flag Smashers until the last episode when Carly killed a lot of innocents. I mean, she's doing illegal things, but I don't think things were really egregious until that moment. True. Up until then, it was very understandable when the three go into to, to find more information about the flag smashers, where the funeral is going to be. They actually talk, Sam talks to one of them and he says, we're not refugees for we have nothing to seek refuge from. We're internationally displaced persons. And this goes to, they want now the GRC wants to do the patch act. That's their response, which would seek to restore traditional border regulations and fast track the return to normalcy, which we've been talking about. You know, a lot of people think, you know, again, the snap equally did, you know, half of England, half the United States. But it seems as though a lot of world leaders were snapped. And therefore, as Sam says, people came together, countries that used to deny them entry. I'm quoting him. There were houses, jobs. People were happy to help rebuilding the entire world came together then boom everyone came back and regressed to the old ways that's what the flag smashers were fighting against and i was on carly's side until they devolved her into a generic terrorist villain because i really think that conversation between her and sam would have had a lot more meaning if there wasn't the whole i just blew up a bunch of people i mentioned that last episode where i really was thinking and commiserating with Carly until that point. And then after that, it was all done with me. No matter what she did, she couldn't redeem herself from there. Kind of a real world example of the things that they're dealing with. So it's the policy of South Korea that they want unification with North Korea. But as the years have gone on, from what I understand, it's a lot more just kind of lip service. Because the thing is, you have one country with its economy, it has all, well, most of its stuff figured out. And then 
you would be getting an influx of more people. And the perception is like, oh, this is going to put so much strain on us. And it's really interesting. Like, it's worth reading up on. And it is kind of the same situation. Mentioned, I believe, in episode one, I might have been episode two of this in our take of it, that the East West Germany was a great example of what's going on here because you have basically the haves and the have nots and they integrate in between the two. Where do the resources actually go? And that's why I was siding with Carly is like, yeah, this does sound like an injustice here. But as soon as you bring in that terrorism, as soon as you kill innocent people, it's it game off for me in supporting you. Just like Sam, yeah, I believe in what you're doing. I do not believe in how you're doing it. See, weirdly enough, as a character, so far, I haven't stopped liking her. But then again, I'm also somebody who thinks that Anders in the Dragon Age series was right. So, (laughs) eh. All right. Let's talk about another famous character of yours that you just absolutely love. The episode actually starts with Bucky. We haven't even touched that yet. And the marquee on the screen says, I believe, five years, six, six years ago, right? Six years ago. So it's been six years since Winter Soldier. I need a, a reality check. No, 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 no. It's been six years since the programming was broken. Remember, he got put on ice and it wasn't like overnight they fixed him. It took time to fix his arm. It took time to work on the programming. Because if you notice in the, you know, he's sitting there by the fire and he's just like, it's not going to work. You know, it's basically we've been working at it. We've been doing this over and over again. And Io is just like, we're finally going to get it. We're going to get it this time, White Wolf. We're going to do it. And that's what it is. So we see that Bucky had a year of peace before the whole snap deal and everything. So remember when he talked about in the... First episode where he was fighting most of the time and he had a little time of peace in Wakanda. And that's really when it was. Yeah. The gap of time, I think, I can't think of exactly how long it was, but I think the gap of time we're missing is between Winter Soldier and Infinity War. Because I think that's when Bucky came out of everything with the programming gone. Yeah, I was trying to get a a good snapshot of exactly what year it was because We've talked about it off and on, but you have the time period between Winter Soldier, which was in 2014 is when the movie came out and then Endgame. But then you had the five years in there. So are we five years in the future right now or whatever? The time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a little bit wonky and they have not depicted exactly what year it is. And I don't blame them for that. I'm just trying to pick up from the clues. Yeah, look, Marvel canon is already tangled enough with people trying to figure out what goes when. I don't blame them for just being like, look, it's in this order. Please just go with it. So, Lauren, you have not had a chance to talk about Bucky's deprogramming. And I know we're not going to move on until you talk about Bucky's deprogramming. So here you go. Lauren. Okay. One of the reasons that I really, really, really love the character of Bucky Barnes is his story is about trauma. And it is about coming to terms with very bad things that you've done with whatever happened in your past that you're still trying to resolve and here okay yeah we saw a little bit of his therapy session which as funny as those scenes were an actual therapist i retweeted this a while ago i'll link it in the show notes if i remember an actual therapist was like okay here's 
all the things that this therapist is doing very, very wrong. But here with this scene at the beginning, we see Bucky making like a breakthrough. It's like y'all were saying, it's from what we gather, it's another attempt in a series of attempts. And if you notice, it's Io who's there who can, you know, take him down very easily if it doesn't work. I don't think that was accidental. I think that was very good writing. And we see that, like, the fear and the strain, and then finally, like, the joy on his face when it works. And it's one thing to know, like, okay, there is this particular thing that I have been coming to terms with, things like that. But the whole thing is that healing is kind of a lifelong process. You're always going to get, well, not always, but it's very likely if you've been through a traumatic event, you can be easily re-triggered. You can have flashbacks. You can have setbacks. It's not a straight line. And what we've been seeing in the series is that, yeah, he's passed this part of it. He's still working on, you know, his amends. He's still trying to come to terms with everything that happened with Steve. And we talked a lot in WandaVision about how that was, it shows grief. This show, a lot of it shows processing, whether it's Bucky with this, whether it's Carly with her anger and her grief, whether it's Sam and his kind of need to just keep moving forward, and Zemo and his inability to give up on the past, I'm really liking where it's going. I think they've done a really good job with Bucky's journey throughout this. I think they've done a better job with him than others, even though the sessions with the therapist are hit or miss. We're two episodes removed from it, but the joint therapy with Falcon, I really enjoyed that moment. And it was a very vulnerable moment for him. And paired with the moment in Wakanda, we were getting to see him with everything completely stripped away. Everything stripped away. And I actually hope that we get more of that for Sam as we get closer to the end. We will only have so many episodes left. But I feel like they have shied away from what he wants to say about taking the shield. But we do have time. I I don't want to completely give up on them addressing his part of the story. And with Carly, it's inconsistent. You're right. It is good that they're handling, you know, her feelings on everything. But it's really it's inconsistent. Like uh, I like what y'all talked about on the, the last episode about losing faith in her, but, and I did too, but I thought at least we'd get some kind of remorse from her when talking to Sam. I felt like it was the perfect opportunity to be like, yes, I did this horrible thing, but I don't feel great about it. And they went the opposite direction there. And she really doubled down on it. And they tried to kind of really back a little bit, but it didn't, it, I didn't buy it. It did feed right into Zemo's calling her a supremacist right then and there, her actions there. And she really hasn't backed down. Matter of fact, at the very end, I'm predicting next episode that she's on her way to the United States to hunt down Sarah and the two boys, AJ and Cass, to get back because she's now been hurt not once but twice. 
and the second time has been from the Avengers tree. I mean, for her, I don't know if she differentiates between Captain America and Sam and Bucky right now. They're all the same like Avengers group, I think, in her eyes. And it kind of kind of is kind of isn't from her perspective because they're all after her. So she does realize that she needs to divide and conquer at the end. But before we get there, Sam does an amazing job of going through his counseling routine that he is trained for. That's what he was doing when we first met him way back in the day on your left sort of thing in Washington, D.C. He was a counselor to former soldiers. I think that was an excellent way to bring that part of his character forward in this negotiations, even though it was cut short. I really, really loved that. That, I think, was my favorite part of the episode. Like you said, Charles, Sam hasn't had as much kind of characterization as Bucky in this series, which is a shame because he's a really cool character. And Anthony Mackie is a fantastic actor. And he was at Comic Palooza a few years ago. And I think we put up the audio on our feed way back when. But anyway, he's great. And here we get to see, like, okay, there is a reason that Steve was like, no, you get the shield. And we see it here. It's the whole thing. It's like, no, you can't. I mean, anybody can be like in the right place at the right time and do a good thing. But to be a good person is what we need. Sam here, we see his empathy. We've seen his empathy in the movies before. Here, it was just full on on display. And through the whole episode, he's trying to talk Walker down like, look, this is not how we're going to do this. And just over and over again, we're seeing these little hints of why he was the right choice. And here, right here in that scene, that encapsulates it perfectly for me. I actually have a question for Charles, since you're here first. Do you mind? Oh, go ahead. So one of the things that I tried to talk about was how the shield has been seen. So Sam basically said... I'm not Steve Rogers. That's why it deserves to be in the museum. And, you know, he gets overlooked. And so, of course, the guy who's replaced has to be a white guy. And then Sam talks about how it needs to be destroyed, especially after he meets Isaiah. And so I'm, look, I'm a white woman. I am taking context clues from fiction and from what happens here in real life America. So I'm just wondering, do you, yeah, what do you think? There we go. What do you think? I'll be honest. I was very iffy on the show when it was announced because I feared that it was going to not address the thoughts that would go through, I think a black man's mind when offered that shield and told or assuming to become Captain America. I thought that either they would do it very poorly or they just wouldn't touch it at all. I don't take either stance just yet because I still think there's time to address it. But one of the things that's kind of bothered me so far is like they're hinting at it a lot, I think. And like you mentioned, uh, Isaiah, I feel like the conversation after meeting him, I think I'm paraphrasing, but I think Sam said there's been a black super soldier for this long or something like that. I think that 
made me think, okay, one of the issues he's having with taking the shield is he doesn't feel like he represents America in that way. And as interesting as those moments are, you know, him giving up the shield and then meeting Isaiah, I don't think we haven't gone back to that yet. Uh, granted, they've kind of been on the move. They haven't had time to. And I think it comes back to me saying before, I hope that in these last few episodes, they give him an opportunity to discuss that. If that's where they're going, I can't really see where else it's going. But I think the perfect way to bring it full circle is for him to have that conversation with someone, with himself, probably with Bucky. and. Except that he doesn't need to be Captain America. He can be Captain Falcon. However, someone reads into that. I can't really speak for everyone, but I think I would be satisfied if they went that route. But just in general, I really want some more about Isaiah. uh, And I really want some more about Falcon's decision to give the shield up. I think we're headed there. I think. The possibility to bring Isaiah back into the show is more prevalent if they go back to the United States to rescue Sarah or to protect Sarah on the run from Carly and the the Flag Smashers. I think that's a good storyline to bring him back. But on the other hand, you have Zemo, too, talking about supremacy. I mean, his supremacy might be slightly different than the supremacy that we're talking about with racial inequality, possibly, but it's still there. and. Zemo is on the run. He's got the Wakandians after him right now. I don't know how he survives on his own out there. He has proven himself to be a little shifty, but we'll see what happens with Zemo there. Again, I ask, why is Zemo allowed out of prison? I mean, I asked it last episode, and I'm going to continue to ask that. He's done nothing but screw stuff up along the way. You could say because plot, you have to move the plot along somehow, so having him in there is is better than not. but. Not only why is he out, why don't they keep a better eye on him? I feel like in every conflict, my eyes are drawn to what he's going to do. And it bothers me that that's not what the other people in that conflict think. Like he's defined himself as this very shifty, resourceful character. And anytime something happens, he gets away. Granted, he has come back because he has his own goals that tie in with theirs but that's not the case anymore so it's it's anyone's game but it it really annoyed me that yes it was weird that he was released in the first place but uh, i agree that they probably could have used other resources to find their target but it really bothers me that they keep letting him get away so first off you have that first fight where he gets handcuffed And then he gets out of the handcuffs and he fights Carly. And then, of course, he's very anti-super soldier, which understandable. And he's like crushing all of the vials and he gets knocked out by John Walker and stuff. But then when we have that epic fight, which I know we're going to talk about because that needs to be talked about in detail. I just love how he's just like. Do to do, do, nothing to see here. I'm just going to back up slowly and close the door and just slip <laughs> away. It was just, it reminded me of that gif of Homer Simpson just melting into the hedges. 
<laughs> it's like that should co- almost like replace that gif of just of Zemo walking back and and closing those doors. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and then ultimately he escapes down the sewer. Yeah, as they say, he pulls an El Chapo. How in, I guess in Europe, are all bathtubs over a sewer grate? Okay, I have a theory. Okay. He mentioned like, oh, I used to come here all the time when I was a kid and we would have parties and blah, blah, blah. He knows this place. This is why he brought them here. He knows this place. And he knows like, hey, if I get this suite, there's like a little hidey hole down there where presumably people who committed war crimes could escape from. I don't know. But I think the whole them kind of drawing attention to the fact that, oh, I used to come here. I think it's setting it was setting that up. Yeah, it made zero sense for them to trust any kind of safe houses, resources or anything that he was putting forward. No. As as I was saying last time, you know, this time Bucky walks in and they ask if he's been followed. And he said, no, I haven't been followed. Obviously, he's being followed. I mean, they followed him right up to the door that they go in. So they have been followed up to that point. So I scratch my head over that whole conversation. But they know that they're known both from Captain America's camp as well as the Wakandian camp. They know that the three of them are there. So I don't know. The whole thing just doesn't make a lot of that. That was almost poor writing, but maybe they had it in there for some reason that I'm not thinking of. So I'm just going to let that one go, especially since this writer is so attuned with John Wick. I think this was a good choice for writer considering how action heavy, particularly the last part of the episode was. Yeah, there was more fights in this episode than we had seen in a while. There was the short fight at the funeral. Right after the funeral, right? There was the hideout fight that we were just talking about with the escape down the sewer. And then there was the Carly divide and conquer fight at the end where everybody's suited up and ready to go. So lots of good action in this episode. Boom, boom, boom. We're getting towards the end of the series. I don't know if we're going to take the stereotypical penultimate episode buildup next time around or not, but I would assume that there is a little bit more action as it goes on in the next couple of episodes because this is big budget and it's like a film that's six hours long not like the snyderverse cut we just no (laughs) we're not gonna go there (laughs) so we do have john walker we've been dancing around it quite a bit he was a main moment a couple of main moments as we go along first one is he can't wait 10 minutes to go in and confront Carly. He just can't. He's just so, I would say he's amped up on steroids, but that's not the case yet. He hasn't taken the superhero serum yet. So he just, he's so impatient that he goes in there. And ultimately this leads to his buddy getting killed, not in this fight, but in subsequent fights. But wow, he just is impatient. He's impulsive. And it makes me question why they keep on pumping it up. By the way, he's got three medals of honor. Nobody in American history has had three medals of honor and definitely nobody has survived with more than one or two medals of honor. So he, well, and let me back that up. There have been survivors that got medals of honor, but if you get three, it's probably the last one's going to be posthumously. So I don't know. He's definitely been maneuvering himself to not be the captain america that 
Captain America needs to be. He has so many faults that it's just driving him to make poor mistakes as things go along. I saw a tweet and I retweeted it maybe just a couple of hours ago. Steve Rogers is who America wishes we were and John Walker is what we are. Where again, it's like the whole, okay, just kind of barging forward, just can't wait, brutal. And like he has these moments where you're like, okay, I feel bad for you. Like the whole where he's talking with Lamar and he's like, nothing I did that day felt heroic talking about when he got those medals. But then it's like, oh, I feel this feels right. This feels right. And then he does like all the wrong things. Also, just as an aside, I don't know if y'all have talked about this. Hi, I've been moving. But I think it was a brilliant choice for them to pick Wyatt Russell to play John Walker because he's identifiable. You look at him and you're like, oh my God, that's Kurt Russell, but younger. And, you know, he's the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. He's Hollywood royalty on two sides for like multiple generations there. So he's the opposite, just even in casting wise of what Steve Rogers was supposed to be. Steve came from nothing. Steve started at the bottom. He was sickly. He just wanted to do the right thing and would stick up for people, blah, blah, blah. With Walker, at the very beginning when we see him, he's back at his high school and we find out, oh, he was the golden boy in high school too. And it's just the contrast there. It's like, yeah, he might be okay, like an okay person. But given that the serum brings out everything, like makes you you, but more, you don't want somebody who's just okay to be on it. You need somebody who's, again, who is unrealistically good. It seemed like they were painting him as that unrealistically good person up to a point, just with his history, with the moment in the school, talking to his girlfriend and the way Battlestar talks about him, it seemed like they may have found somebody that would have been an ideal replacement for Steve Rogers if you had to choose one. And now I would hate to see what they would do if this was shortened into a film, but I think they're really rushing to deconstruct him and to get to whatever their punchline is for his character. It doesn't feel like an organic transition Uh, because you're right. He has not made a good decision once since we've met him. He loses repeatedly. I guess you could say that the title has kind of gone to his head. So all of the good that was there is just, I don't know, overrun with his thoughts of trying to live up to something. But in this episode, it seems like it just comes down to him losing again and not being able to compete in this space he thinks he should be in with Bucky and with Falcon. But my biggest issue with with Walker and where this ended up going is that, yes, he's a very on-the-nose example of what Zemo is worried about. It was actually really, I, I thought it was a really nice moment when Zemo quickly admitted that Rogers is the exception to his feelings 
on people in power. And Walker is the on the nose opposite of that. But I feel like Carly is the much more interesting example of someone that could run a little too wild with powers. I mean, they, they have to have someone in that Captain America suit, but I think I may have enjoyed the show more without his character. Also, I really, really disliked that Bucky went along with him being impatient and going in to stop it. I think it would have made a lot more sense if he fought Bucky and got in there and messed things up, or even if he took the serum before that moment so he could subdue Bucky to get in there to stop it. I agree about Bucky not stopping him and such. And one of the things I thought was it's almost like a contrast of the modern American war manufacturing, war machine sort of deal. Not, I don't mean like the comic character, but just the military complex that we have as opposed to when Steve, because just because you're good with a military gun doesn't mean you're going to be a good fighter because it's almost as though those two, it's like if you notice, they both come in with guns, but they're up against people who fight hand to hand. He actually says, what is it with all these knives? Well, knives don't run out of bullets there, John. So therefore, you can do that. And they're used to those close combat. And when the door, Melage, I hope I said that right, come in and he's just like, you know, I got beat up by a bunch of, bunch of women. Now I got to go become a super soldier. It's like, well, they are trained warriors, they're a team, and they're used to that close combat situation where he said he was in Afghanistan, which, you know, war is war. But when you are out there with more of a machine gun and doing something from a distance, that's a different way of fighting. There's also the fact that this is what I thought of. I didn't even think about the fact that, okay, it's a close combat thing versus a ranged combat thing. What I thought was, they're in Europe. Yes, guns are harder to get. And therefore, it would be good to know how to use knives. That was just the first thing I thought of. But I like yours better. I think it points out the fact that you have Bucky, who has been trained on numerous different weaponry and excels in every fight he's been in. He's the best fighter that you have on the field. I will even include the Dora Dora Milaje. Milaje in there. They just worked well together and were able to not only subdue him from that point of view, but also subdue his best asset, which was his arm. Not only is it his arm, but it's also vibranium. So they were able to do that and just take him out. And then he was like, wow, I'm useless here. So he's got to deal with that as well. I kind of love that his arm has a, um, I'm blanking on the term. Like a fail safe? Fail safe. Thank you. Yeah. And they were going for it for a while. I don't know if it was just one button that they were pushing or maybe a series because she was going after it for quite some time before it. I think it was there. a series. I saw a lot of people mm. referring to it as the five point palm exploding heart technique. Yeah, so he's got Bucky's got to deal with that, but he deals with that a lot better than John deals with his inadequacies. But yeah, Bucky is definitely the best fighter out there. He can grab a hold of the shield at any point in time that it comes by him during a fight, 
and then just give it back to whoever it belongs to. He doesn't believe it belongs to him. Otherwise, he would use it. The knives, guns, doesn't matter. He's the best singular person out there. And I think it definitely, the knife fights do depict that well. My question on the whole thing with the fights is all of a sudden, they're fighting. They're fighting hard. And then they're surprised. Everybody's surprised that Battlestar is killed. Lamar Hoskins is killed. And then there's a whole bunch of rage to that. Like, you guys are battling to the death anyway. And you're surprised that somebody gets killed. I mean, I was so mad about that. He rescued himself. He got out. And uh, I'm just I'm I'm still mad about that. Yeah, uh, that was a very, very frustrating scene because I think it was explicitly said that Carly and them needed to kill Cap and Battlestar would be included with that because they are the ones that, you know, they don't trust the ones that they see as representative of the American government. So the reaction to him dying in that fight made no sense to me whatsoever. It structurally functioned as like this quiet moment for us to see Walker kind of detach from reality for a second, but their reaction, I would have expected them to continue fighting because it's one down at that point from their perspective. Battlestar is down, go after. I think what it might've been, at least this was how I read it. I'm going to be rewatching it later tonight, so I'll double check, but it's more of an, Oh crap, we just killed his best friend. We saw that he had also taken the serum because he threw that way harder than a person should have. We better get a head start because super strength, yeah, that's fine. Super strength plus a reason to fight. I mean, it's enough now with people who, you know, we don't have super strength, but. I don't remember where I heard this, but I remember the saying. It's when you have a cheetah chasing an antelope. Yeah, the cheetah's going fast because it wants dinner, but the antelope is pushing itself that fast because it doesn't want to die. And that's kind of what I took it as. I know they were going after Captain. And first, yes, I think they were surprised that he had taken the serum and that he was able to fight back. I know that they were after him and here he comes and he saves, you know, he tackles her and then that's why he gets hit. But it's one thing to go and continue the fight. It's another to go and kick someone down and then beat them to death with the symbol that Steve Rogers carried and get blood on it. And then stand there in front of everyone, proud of what you just did? I'm not sure he was proud. I was going to say the same thing. I think they held that shot for so long because it may have started out that way, where he felt accomplished. But I did feel like his expression started to change. I don't know if they're going to attribute that expression change into the realization that everyone saw it. Or the fact that he realized what he had done, or maybe a combination of that, maybe a combination of, I see these people saw me do this, and then it clicks in his head, what did I just do? But yeah, I, I, I don't think the being proud of it would last, will last too long when we get started with the next episode. 
he's going to be devastated. His best friend and his sidekick, for lack of a better term, is gone. His his combat buddy is gone. All he's got to left to lean on is his wife, who we saw back in episode one. We haven't seen her since. And I think it's going to be a very difficult time. I don't know if they're going to bring him back to the United States or what, but it is really bad imagery and it's going to be out everywhere. There's no way that the United States is going to be able as, as an entity, you know, the United States have propped up this new captain America and I don't think there's any way to control this. So let's just bring him in, bring him in just like the Sokovia Accords did with the super powered people. And technically now he is super powered himself. So he should be brought back in. And I don't know what happens from now. I wonder if they'll lean into the fact that, yes, he took the serum because he thought that was the solution, but it still got Battlestar killed. Like, he wasn't able to save him in that moment. I don't think there's any way for him to come back short of a complete counseling and mourning period and everything like that. This is not a quick fix to come back from this. This is definitely, I need to reevaluate my life. He is superpowered now. What do you do with a superpowered person? Do you just lock them up? I mean, there's a lot of bad people, bad things going on in, in the uh, world, in the galaxy. So in the comics, from what I've seen, I have not read any John Walker comics, but I've read summaries of what goes on. And ultimately, he is able to write the ship towards the end of his comic book run. So maybe we'll get some sort of thing. I don't know if it's going to be in this series, though. One thing I really have been liking about what they've been doing in the series is the look at symbols and what they mean to us. Sam very much viewed the shield as a symbol and wasn't sure that he should be attached to that symbol. It's the idealized version of a thing that you can physically hold. We have this person in a suit. That's supposed to, again, be going forward with this symbol, this idea. And we're seeing how that gets deconstructed during this. And then now at the end of this episode, we see that symbol covered in blood. This thing that was supposed to be, it's supposed to protect people. And it's there, it's made of vibranium. It's this kind of gesture of goodwill and friendship between these two very important figures and we've just seen it be used as a murder weapon there is a lot to think about in the series of what do we do with the symbols of things what do those symbols like how sacred are these symbols to us and i'm really looking forward to seeing where they go with that in the last two episodes I actually have a question for you, SP. So you said before that you think that Carly's going to go after Sam's family. Actually, I, I wonder what everyone else's thoughts on that, because I felt like she tested Sam by, well, actually, even before that, I think her decision to separate Sam from Cap was her also acknowledging that he is trustworthy and that he is not someone that she wants to hurt. Do you think that she would go back on that because of what Cap did? Or do you think, what are your thoughts? There's a lot of variables still left in play here. One of which is the power broker, which we haven't even discussed yet in this episode. But the thing that makes me think that 
it's going to happen is they kind of set it in motion already. They have the characters. It gets them back to the United States. It probably gets Isaiah back into the mix, which would be great. I could be stretching there. I don't know. But this is a moment where Carly becomes unhinged. She has lost not one, but two. Now she can't make any more of her friend's superpowers. So she's going to go after the mechanism behind the GRC. And to her, the three people in front of her are the GRC. Maybe this is why we saw Cap's wife, John Walker's wife in the very first episode. She's going to say that Carly's going to go after her wife too. And that just brings them back to the United States. I, I don't see this not coming back to the United States based off of where the series was and, and where we are right now. Yes, they're stuck in Europe, but I think that story's played out at the moment. Zemo's gone somewhere. I don't know where. The Wakanians are after him. You have the death. You got to get John Walker out of Europe. You got to get him out of there. You got to. So I see them boarding a plane and, and getting on back to the United States and then Carly following. I kind of see them maybe faking us out that she's going after Sarah, but making it so that she goes after Walker's wife instead. I think you're right that these characters were introduced for a reason beyond, in Walker's case, oh, he has a girlfriend or wife and blah, 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 aren't they cute? And with Sarah, again, we've seen her be the link into the condition of the world right now, Sam's state of mind, and he has family. Bucky mentions that, yeah, I have no family. Sam has a family. Sam has a sister. Sam has nephews. Sam has a legacy there. And if anyone, I think Zemo would be the one to go after Sarah. See, I wonder if Zemo's going back to Mandalore because of the whole power broker situation and to see what was up there because we still have Sharon Carter somehow having access to satellites, even though she's supposed to be, I don't know how she get again. It's more evidence that maybe she's the power broker or in league with the power broker or undercover somehow, but she's just like casually like, yeah, I got a couple of satellites, whatevs. So it's just like, are they going to go back to Mandapore and then back to the United States? I'm just, yeah. There's so much going on and we have two episodes left. Yeah. Before you mentioned uh, Madripoor, I was trying to figure out what purpose does Zemo serve now? And uh, SP said, you know, they need to get Cap out of Europe. And I was like, maybe this is a stretch, but maybe they would have to lean on him to do it. But I think that's a stretch just because why would he do it? There's no what was captured on that phone is everything that Zemo has warned everyone about, essentially. So I can't see him helping there, but going to Madripoor would make sense. As far as Sharon, I don't know if I ultimately don't think she is the power broker, but I do think that she's making a move on the power broker. And somehow maybe her and Zemo will cross paths in that way. But I, I also found it strange that she had access to satellites not only does she have a lot of resources, she moves through Madripoor very comfortably with no issues whatsoever. So she could be the power broker, but I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. 
I'm a little bit in the camp that we could be a lot misdirected in this whole thing, especially after WandaVision, where, where is Agent Franklin? <laughs> uh, maybe he's a power broker. So I don't want to get too wrapped up into the Sharon Carter as the power broker is not the power broker. Personally, I think it's a little bit misdirection, but they could be planting it on our face. I don't know one way or the other. I actually think given her character and given where her character has been, it is a far, far jump. And we talked about it before Michelle and I went back and forth a couple episodes ago with Chris. It is a far jump for her to go from where she was to being the power broker. Not impossible. She's capable of it. Definitely. But I think character wise, it's a little bit too much of a stretch and that it's more of a stretch that she was put in place because she's a good agent. She's a really good agent that she was put in place to bring down the power broker or at least keep tabs on the power broker. And it's found herself aligned as a power broker's number two. She's mentioned he with the power broker before might indicate that the power broker is actually he and not to get too spoilerly, but we've been given a indication that there's going to be a cool guest appearance next episode as well. Could be the power broker, could be something else. I have no idea. If it is the power broker, that would mean it wouldn't be Sharon. So I'm up in the air on it. Just going to go along for the ride here. I'm not going to get too entwined in one way or the other. My whole faith in this show is not going to be based on if Sharon is the power broker or not. But it's definitely been an interesting side conversation. I had a question for y'all. What ultimate purpose do you think the power broker is going to have in this story? Like, yeah, we get at the beginning, oh, the power broker is responsible for the serum. but They've been making too much of a deal for it to just leave it there. What purpose do y'all think this is going to come to? To resolve the Agent Franklin loophole. (laughs) Or finally reveal perhaps a bigger bad because we're entering phase five, five, right? Phase five. And I, we know Dr. Strange is handling sorcery and the multiverse and all that type of deal. It's WandaVision clearly leads into that. But we're not really too sure what's going to happen on like the Avengers side of it. Like we have Ant-Man and the Wasp coming up and then there's the whole, you know, other things like are they... Are there even going to be any more Avengers type movies? Like, have we, because we're getting like the Eternals and all that type of stuff, which really doesn't ring Avengers. So I don't know. And you've pointed out many times, Kevin Feige has a whole new set of toys in the toolbox right now. So who knows what that's going to evolve into in terms of collaboration. We're going to get some Fantastic Four movies. We're going to get some X-Men movies that that's the coalition of everything. I mean, who knows? It's the kingpin. The power broker's the kingpin. <laughs> and we're going to get Vincent in. Making that MCU connection, yeah. huh? Wait, Charles, are you thinking what? That was awful. No, I, kingpin. I, w- I was going to say, like, how wild would it be if this is how they tied into the Netflix series and just brought we kingpin We know they back. have the rights to at least Daredevil back from Netflix. Or mm-hmm. Madame Gao. Or, I mean, oh, yeah. it was a he, but. Yeah, that could be yeah. misdirection or. I saw somebody suggest Victor Von Doom, but I think that's a little out there given Von Doom's usual motivations. 
I will say that when they're like, oh, blah, 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 we need to go to Madripoor, I screamed because that's a thing that is very, very, very tied in with the X-Men, especially Wolverine. There's been speculation that Hugh Jackman is going to show up next episode. And, (laughs) you know, if it happens or not, who knows? You're going to fuel another 10 to 20 articles of this show is going to introduce the mutants. Oh, gosh. (laughs) You know, when Madripoor came up, I was just going, please don't. And of course, you know, a whole bunch of people went on it. And I'm just like going, no, stop it. Kevin Feige's not going to bring out the mutants for another three years or so. Just calm down a bit. There is a measured way to move the MCU ahead. And I just don't see major shifts happening in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier because they came out and said that this is timeless of where it is. This is not necessarily has to happen in a specific time. In the MCU. So it makes me think that there might not be too much introduced. That said, who knows? They can pick and choose whatever comes out of it. What if it's Namor? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Please don't get my hopes up here. We could get Phil Coulson back. I mean, I who knows? I was thinking that earlier too. Who knows? It's going to be fun. We could speculate all day, but yeah. I like this episode. And Michelle, how'd your mom like the episode? She actually likes this one. Oh, do we actually have some audio from her? Yes, we do. Let's go ahead and play that. Episode four. I really did like it. It was very interesting, especially with the Wakanda soldiers. They came in and they wanted Zemo and Captain America. He's starting to be arrogant well, maybe not started, but he is arrogant. He's being impatient. But when they had their fight, and then when they ended it, he says they weren't super soldiers. Well, number one, they were a team together. They knew what to do. And just like the four of them, They're going their separate ways, but if they had come together, it would have been a lot better. But yeah, I liked it. And now Zemo is on the run. Were you surprised that John Walker took the serum? Yes. Why were you surprised? I thought that Sam didn't want to take it, but I think when he fought the women, the soldiers, That's when it kicked in. He goes, they weren't super soldiers. And that got into his head, and I think that's the reason why he took it. He wanted to be able to kick some ass, and, well, he kicked the wrong ass. And now everybody will know that he's not a good Captain America. So it's an improvement over the first three? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. It's getting better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I now I'm more interested now to see what really will happen. And it just took to episode four. Yeah, just took to episode four. With two left. Yeah, two left. Dang. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, so as far as Michelle's mom's take there, it took until, well, at the end of season three that uh, Star Trek The Next Generation started picking up. So, you know, four episodes in. Not too bad here, right? You're really comparing something that's like over 20 years old to the, well, 
oiled manufactured Kevin Feige machine. Ooh, that's an interesting thing. If Kevin Feige would have taken over Star Trek, where would we be now? <laughs> no lens flares. <laughs> I've been rewatching The Witcher lately, and first of all, because of that, it cracks me up anytime anyone says White Wolf in this show. And second of all, last night I finished rewatching season one and started watching the behind the scenes things. And they had basically their Kevin Feige on the show. He was a Polish guy who was like, oh, I know all the books. I know all the background. Let me explain this. And you kind of want someone with that dedication to your property. You need somebody that's capable of moving a machine forward. And I think Star Wars was lacking that. I don't want to get into a discussion on Kathleen Kennedy. I think Star Wars as an entity and Lucasfilm as an entity was suffering from that years from years ago, going back to George Lucas himself. Right. So you can get somebody that knows everything and still has a problem executing. You stopped me right in my tracks from mentioning Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I have so much to say about J.J. Abrams. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <sighs> okay. All right. Let's finish. Let's finish this part up and then, you know. Okay, Michelle, anything else you got left to say about this episode? No, I think I was able to put everything that I had. I just, I really hope these last two episodes are a bit more focused. That's my hope. Definitely give us more Sam development. We already know Bucky is sad. We can move on from that. And we need the Dora Milaje and everything. I love Florence Kasumba. She needs more work. I tried watching that really bad Wizard of Oz series that she was in. <sighs> One episode. One episode. <sighs> I was so like, I saw the thing with the yeah. dress and I'm like going, I am in for this. I love her. And then she's one episode. And it's like, what the? What the what the what? What yeah. why is why are you taking someone who is just so elegant and but it's like she just is is like elegant and, and extremely tough. Anyway, we don't yeah, this could become yeah. just a complete hour of love for her, but yeah. She's in this. Yes, she's in this. I'm hoping she's in more. I love the character of Io from the comics. So give us more. Marvel, please listen to us. I will give you money. You already, we already have. (laughs) Charles, your last thoughts here. I fully back anything extra regarding the Dora. I love the Black Panther comic books, but I always felt like they were the most interesting thing about them, especially in recent comics. But anything more with them, I'm all for it. But I hope that they give Sam time to be as vulnerable, vulnerable as Bucky has been in these last two episodes. I've given up on them executing Carly's arc in a good way, but there's still two episodes. They could surprise me there. It's going to be interesting to see. And and I'll throw this very small, tiny nugget out there, even though I don't believe Sharon is the power broker. I'll th- put this in kernel in someone's head, but I think Sharon not being in the room with that doctor, that useless, very useless doctor. <laughs> I think that was a very convenient bit of the script because he could identify her if she was the if she was the power worker yeah i'll agree with that as well yeah and i railed last episode about the useless doctor dr nagel i believe that was Mm -hmm. useless Mm -hmm. didn't even need him in the series i don't even remember his name yeah (laughs) 
Next week, we're going to cover Falcon and the Winter Soldier Season 1, Episode 5, on Titled Again, because Disney Plus and Marvel is playing this little game where they won't release the title of the episode until the episode actually comes out. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But before we go, we have some weekly Marvel news to cover. Yeah, we have some news with a trailer. Yeah, so first off, we have a new Black Widow trailer. I really like Florence Pugh, so I was very happy. This one, I believe, is the one that focused more on them. The idea of Yelena and Natasha as sisters. And I am here for that. Found family and made family are like a huge narrative trope that I love. Okay, I really like Florence Pugh. She was amazing in Midsummer. I really liked her in Fighting with My Family. And I really want to see more, Yelena. Now, I watched Iron Man 2 this past week on the treadmill. I'm done with my Star Wars watch. I'm now into my Marvel Cinematic Universe watch. I'm at Thor. So I've already gone through the first three movies. And Iron Man 2 was the third movie I went into. Black Widow makes her appearance right there. And I was thinking as I was watching this, this really is the first like Avengers movie because you have all the things coming together right there. But after that, she should have had her own movie. And I know that they were throwing in a lot of answer characters at that point in time into the universe, into all the movies. But at that point, she really should have had her own movie. So I'm grateful that all this time later, you know, from 2010, I believe, or 2011, all the way 10 years later, she's finally got her own movie charles are you excited to see this movie i am i'm excited to see it i like the cast that they have i feel like black widow was definitely very underutilized throughout the entirety of the mcu run i think everyone's assumption which would make sense considering the state of her character in the current movies that this is going to be a one and done thing that doesn't send any ripples across the rest of the MCU. But I am hopeful that they're going to plant some seeds that will be relevant. The main one that I, that I want them to do, I want them to do something to get secret invasion rolling to maybe reveal that a particular character is a scroll uh, or something like that. Uh, I think that would be very, very interesting. Our next piece of news is about She-Hulk. Renee Elise Goldsberry is going to join the series, and I hope she's satisfied about it. <laughs> yeah, she is probably most widely known as the original actress for Angelica in Hamilton. So, yeah, she can act, she can sing. I've also seen her in the first season of Altered Carbon. I got really mad at the author, so I haven't watched the second season, which I should, because again, Anthony Mackie, fantastic, but she's really good, and I'm very excited. I want to know who she's going to be, what's going to be going on. I'm very happy. I'll tell you this, regarding Alter Coburn's second season, since you like her so much, you'll enjoy it because she's definitely more of a focal point. Yes. Okay. I guess I know what I'm watching next. Yeah. As far as She-Hulk goes, this is awesome. I think this is a fantastic addition to the show. I was very loosely interested in the show. And then they announced that 
Tatiana would be the lead. I love her. And um, I think it's Orphan Black. Yes. So having both of them there is great. I also did not realize that Tim Roth was going to be reprising his role as the Abomination in this particular series. So that is going to be quite interesting. But I'm looking forward to it. I was going to mention that that I recently watched The Incredible Hulk from 2008, and to date, there had only been two actors that came out of that, Thunderbolt Ross, the Hulk, I guess, and Tony Stark, three actors that came out of that into the rest of the MCU, and yeah, the Abomination was basically left for dead at the end of that, so it'll be interesting bringing the Abomination back forward. It is not on Disney+. Plus. You're going to have to buy it on your own. I haven't found it streaming for free anywhere I had previously bought and redeemed a digital copy on prime amazon prime so that is how i watched it so you're not going to find it on disney plus next we asked for it and marvel delivered we have one hour dancing zemo we have the link to it in there it is the look i know stereotypes (laughs) you know and everything but man if you want an example of the stereotypical white guy dancing thing this video this video was it it is amazing i just i yeah it's one hour thank you marvel it's like being back in college again (laughs) i have not watched it yet but i i feel like i'm obligated to yeah i didn't watch the whole hour but no i i scanned through it in about a minute and it's like the same thing over and over and over oh okay yeah, it's his whole like they in the in the show they only showed like a snippet of him dancing, and then he said, "Well, there was more of it," and it's basically kind of like a minute or something of him dancing. But then they they loop it over and over again because people wanted the Zemo cut, and so Marvel's like, "Fine, we'll give you the Zemo cut." <laughs> That's a smart move. You remember how they gave us the like Avengers themed Yuletide logs a while back? They need oh, yeah. to do the same thing, but with Zemo dancing in front of it to like jingle bells. there is enough lights it could be christmasy okay we also have a new trailer for loki has anybody else watched this trailer yet yeah yes i i'm so excited for time crimes it's taking a it looks like a bunch of aspects from the more recent loki comics that i really really like so you have you know him and basically the outfit from when he was running for president and I'm hoping we get Lady Loki, and it would be kind of cool if we get Kid Loki. But either way, it won me over when he was D.B. Cooper, because I'm enough of a crime nerd that the second is like, okay, glasses, plain, old-timey, oh, I know what this is. So I'm looking forward to what little time Easter egg hijinks they're going to pull there. I'm so excited. Yeah, considering the subject matter with this situation, the sky's the limit. They can really do anything with it. I didn't read any of the more recent Loki stories, so me learning that it it might be pulling elements from that is actually new for me. I was pondering if this was possibly going to be a completely original like MCU thing, but it's awesome that he has his own show, and that trailer definitely hooked me. I think this also is going to be maybe indirectly tying into Doctor Strange. You know, we have the multiverses of madness. We remember from Endgame where it's like, okay, if you change something, you split everything off into different different universes. And here, Loki is working for what we find out is the time variance 
organization, association, office, whatever it is. So they're basically time police. And I'm really looking forward to seeing like, okay, is this going to lead into the what if cartoons that we're going to be getting? Is this going to lead into Doctor Strange? Is this just going to be its own little fun standalone thing? I don't know. I'm curious to find out. We have some Oscar Isaac news. Okay. A video was posted, I think, yesterday of Oscar Isaac training, knife fighting, looking very good. And a bunch of people are like, okay, is this a Moon Knight? Is this for Moon Knight? A bunch of people are like, well, he's attached to Metal Gear Solid, the movie for that. First of all, that one is still listed as in production or in development, something like that. This one is listed as, okay, yeah, that one was listed as in development. This one's pre-production. And somebody went through and was kind of getting all the timing of everything down. And yeah, it looks like this is him training for Moon Knight. I'm excited. I don't know all that much about Moon Knight, but I really, really like Oscar Isaac. Coming from the perspective of someone who was really engaged with comics before the MCU started, didn't know how it was going to go. The existence of the Moon Knight project with like an obscure character specifically, a more a much more obscure character with a an actor at the height of his career in Oscar Isaac. It gives me so much joy and just seeing him prepare for it excites me. Uh, I cannot wait to see what Moon Knight is like. And then finally, something about Bucky's therapist. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. An actual therapist went through and listed like, okay, here's all the like horrible ethics violations and everything that Bucky's therapist did. So if you're curious, just might want to check it out. It's from at made of awesome AWSM on Twitter. And I think it's worth a look. I mean, everybody has these ideas of what therapy is like from watching on TV. And this is part of why people are sometimes very reluctant to get mental help because we all have the whole Freudian lock you in a scary haunted mental hospital. And it's like, no, people can be abused through the mental health system. People are. but. Good therapists exist. I have been to a few. I've been to some that weren't great, but it's worth finding out what the misconceptions are. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in reading that thread. I, I just scanned through it and uh one of the things that jumped out to me was her making light of his situation, which definitely I'm sure it screamed at a lot of people. Uh it was a very inappropriate thing, including Al Elizabeth and yeah, um, I'm unfortunately one of the people that's a bit more hesitant to seek therapy, but I, I didn't really kind of think of this particular use of a therapist in the show as any particular type of deterrent, but I'm interested to read more. Yeah. Again, we came right off of talking about Punisher, which had the <laughs> worst example of a therapist. Don't get me started again. Is this therapist great? No. Obviously made a mistake. Of course, we don't know what their sessions have been like because I'm in talk therapy and I have to say the relationship with my therapist has evolved over time. So I know a lot in that session and in that other session with Sam and stuff and everything. I'm not going to verify like that. That's what it is. No, 
you know, really, that is not good therapy no. either. But is she better than the one in The Punisher? Yes. I mean, it's she, hard. I uh, had a therapist ask me if my intrusive thoughts were possibly me having psychic abilities. And that therapist was worse than the one that asked me about that. So, oh, yeah, oh gosh. It was a whole thing. It's, yeah. good Lord. <laughs> Charles, we were so entwined in the linear series that were on TV that we haven't gotten through all of the Netflix stuff until we're just getting to the last series now, Jessica Jones. We just watched The Punisher season two. This is really recent for us. None of us had seen it before now. So it was sure. really interesting to get that back to back comparison between the things. There's so much Marvel stuff. I'm both so happy and so overwhelmed. Well, since you're so overwhelmed, I think it's a good time for us to push the bathtub to the side, pick up the grate, slink on through on out to just recoup. I want to start off by saying really thank you, Charles, for joining us in this conversation. It was great having your perspectives as a writer in here and then all your other insights. It was fantastic having you on. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you all so much, Lauren, for inviting me. It's been an absolute treat. I was aware of the show before this. Uh, I hadn't listened to a full episode, but I did before uh, coming on today. And it's legitimately impressive. You all do really, really wonderful work. And I will be a listener going forward for sure. Thank, thank you. you. I also want to thank, in addition to Charles, all of the listeners, the people who show up or at least read the live tweets. Now that I've settled into a place, I'm doing live tweets again on Saturday mornings. So thank you to the people who have responded. Again, we really, really, really love hearing from all of you. Thank you to the people in the chat. Yes, again, thank you, Charles, for coming by and to thank everyone who hangs out in the Discord. I'm more in the Discord than I am on Twitter and the interesting conversations that we have. Again, if you're worried about finding spoilers, we have a strict spoiler policy where we keep general things in the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. channel, but then we have a special spoiler channel and that's where people can just talk about whatever. So don't worry about coming in and all of a sudden in the general chat, all of a sudden get spoilers. We do have rules. We do. And it's a great conversation that we have over there. So until next time, I'm producer of the show, Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Consultant Charles. Okay. We'll see everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended.
Hello, hello. Hey, Charles. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? All right. I'm SP, so it's glad to meet you. Pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Excited. Excited. So Lauren just moved, and this will be her first time back on the show, so we'll see if she got her studio all set up. <laughs> awesome. Michelle, for the record, I did ask her about three times, maybe four times, if she wanted to test things out before now. <laughs> Saying tech is very fickle. With Lauren, it's usually fickle when she changes her studio or moves or something like that. And I try to lead turn it every time by um, telling her, let's connect on a test call. And it just doesn't happen with her. So Taylor picked her puppy today. My daughter Taylor is getting a golden retriever and she got to pick the litter. She's getting a male. There was total of nine, three males, six females. So she was Mm -hmm. the first that got to pick a male and they're four weeks old. So she won't be going to pick them up for another four weeks. And then of course the question is, dad, did you drive down to get him with me? How far away? Four hours. Uh, Got it. Dogs are in supply right now. Oh my gosh. You want a cat? Come to my area. Good. <laughs> I actually follow the humane shelter mm-hmm. on Facebook because, you know, lost animals or something. And almost. Okay. Anything now? Well, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. Yay. Awesome. Uh, Anyway, this is my new recording closet. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I am ordered some really good sound panels, but because of the combo of COVID, shorthandedness, and everybody getting into audio work, it's going to take like eight weeks. So right now I just have my old foam tacked up and I bought diffusers. So Fair we'll enough. see how that goes. Oh, God, my face is glowing. I need to change this light. Okay. Still trying to get everything figured out over here. So, Charles, welcome to the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. pre-show. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the fun. This time on episode 372 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 4, The Whole World is Watching. We talk weekly Marvel news and feedback in the future. Some other... T- oh, my God. Do you want to give that another go? Yeah, let's go again. Okay. I'm really sorry if y'all heard scratching at any point. I think we have squirrels in our ceiling. <laughs> like, we keep hearing this scratching up here. And I went to the attic to check, but like, there's a lot of insulation and I need to go further back. And I am positive that it's squirrels. It could be squirrels. It could be, uh, I don't know if you have raccoons down there. It could be mice. We do. I'm, it doesn't sound big enough to be a raccoon. It could be rats uh, or mice. It could be rats. Uh, I didn't see the droppings though. So That's good. Yeah. I know we, di- we had them at the lake. And I remember the last week there when I was deconstructing everything. I was laying in bed and I heard this shh across the tile that was in the ceiling above me. And we did have chipmunks too, but when we, when we took it all apart, there were definitely uh, 
mice nests underneath the kitchen table. So I don't know where else they were going. That place was a mess. It needed to be redone. Not at all like your place. Your place is new and and solid and everything. This this was a wreck. It was never meant to be a full time house, and we made it into one. Yeah, this one. Okay, some of the weirdest decisions were made in building this condo. We have LED lights in our dining room area, which is great. Yeah. But the thing is, they just sort of stuck them up there at random. Mm. Like there is no rhyme or reason to it. Um. <laughs> The a lot of the switches are not where you'd expect them to be. Like, okay, you come into a room, you expect the light switch closest to you to be the one that turns on the light. No, it's always the one further out. There's like a vent that's the wrong size that the HOA I think still needs to fix. Some really weird decisions that were made, but overall, it's really good. We've got this place like I'd say 85% unpacked now. My next big project is framing and hanging up all the art we've been buying for the last like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Finally have some wall space. Yes. Have wall space and I could actually like nail stuff in and not worry about having to patch it up when we, well, we're still going to patch it up when we move out, but like not getting like, you know, docked money for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, the recording closet, I got to paint it the color I wanted. We got to paint the office and our bedroom the colors that we wanted. We could paint the dining room, but it's it's one of those like two-story mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. We need to get like some tapestries or something to hang up because it's very echoey. But yeah, it's I'm really liking this house. The backyard is fantastic. I go out and like read in the mornings. It's great. Aww. How's Pike? Oh, he loves it. He, okay, he's discovered stairs and he loves stairs. He likes feeling tall. So he'll sit at the top of the stairs or on the light because it's one of those ones that goes down and then turns. And then, so he loves sitting on like the top or on that landing. He's been falling. You might have heard him yelling at one point in the recording. I'm not real sure. He's been very loud. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2021.